Well, you know, for the last several weeks, I had been going through a series called The Problem with Hell. We've been dealing with the topic of hell. And I told you, um, I wanted to address primarily the one challenge that keeps coming up. How can a loving God send people to hell? And so we've looked at that for the last several weeks, and I said, in order to understand this whole idea of going to hell, we have to understand at least six or seven topics altogether. Um, Hermeneutics, how to properly understand the scripture. What the Bible says about God's justice, his vengeance, his wrath, his holiness. And then after we looked at all those things, we can talk about God's love, because God's love is an issue, but it's not the only issue. Well, after four weeks of talking about hell, I want to move on to uh, something a little more enjoyable. (laughs) So this morning and then next week, we're going to talk about love. This week, we're going to focus in on love passages in the New Testament. And then next week, we'll focus in on love passages from the Old Testament. A lot of people think that the, the books are different, that somehow God changed from Malachi to Matthew. And that you'll see it's not the case. And as I pointed out to you, it's kind of funny Because some people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is a God of vengeance and wrath. They think of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they think of the flood. Uh, But the New Testament, God is a God of love, and they think about Jesus, and so on and so forth. said, well, the funny thing is, if you try to do research on the doctrine of hell, you'll almost be exclusively in the New Testament, because that's where almost all the verses are. And if you try to find it in the Old Testament, you're going to have a hard time. It's, It's hard to find hell in the Old Testament just the opposite of what people expect. And then we say, well, wait a minute, God is a God of wrath in the Old Testament? Have you read the book of Revelation? It doesn't get any worse than that, and that's in the New Testament. So I don't know, people have these funny ideas. So this morning, we're gonna talk about love. What is love? If I give you a piece of paper right now and said, write down a definition, think about it for a minute. How would you define it? I mean, love is an emotion, that's true. But love is more than an emotion. I mean, when you get up in the middle of the night to take care of your baby, and you're like bumping off a wall as you're so tired, and then the kid vomits all over you, and you've got to change him and change you, you're not thinking, oh, I love this bundle of joy at that moment. Your emotions aren't playing. It's something more. So love is an emotion, but there's more. Love is a commitment. I like to tell people love is a verb. It's what we do. But I wanted to write down a definition of love. So let me give you the definition that I wrote down. Love is a strong desire and commitment to be with another and to benefit another. And most of that I probably got out of those two things, the emotion and the commitment. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the famous chapter on love in the Bible. So I want to read the International Standard Version of that for you. And then we're going to look at it like two more times. Because repetition is the mother of learning. And love is the most important thing. So we're going to look at it and look at it and look at it. And by the time we go home this morning, you're going to know love. You're going to tell your friends, hey, what did you do today? I went to church and I learned about love. And they'll be so intrigued that they'll want to come back next week when we look at love again. All right, here we go. If I speak in the languages of humans and angels, but have no love, I've become a a reverberating gong or a clashing cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can understand all secrets and every form of knowledge, and if I have absolute faith so as to move mountains but have no love, I am nothing. And even if I give away everything that I have and sacrifice myself but have no love, I gain nothing. Love is always patient. And love is always kind. Love is never envious or arrogant with pride. She is never conceited and never is she rude. And she never thinks just of herself or ever gets annoyed. She's never resentful and is never glad with sin. She's always glad to side with truth and pleased that truth will win. She bears up under everything and believes the best in all. There's no limit to her hope and never will she fall. Love never fails. So I broke it down into 15 attributes of love from this translation. And I'll go through all 15 of those. We'll look at them a little closer and then we'll move forward. First is love is always patient. Second, love is always kind. Love is never envious. It's never arrogant with pride. It's not conceited, five. It's not rude, six. Never thinks just of herself, not self-centered, seven. Not easily annoyed, verse eight. Not resentful, nine. Probably not verse nine, but number nine. Number 10, love doesn't like sin. Number 11, she's always glad to side with truth. She does like truth, but not sin. She's pleased when truth wins. 12, she bears up under everything. Very patient, very long-suffering. 13, she believes the best, gives the benefit of the doubt to everybody. 14, never runs out of hope. And 15, she will never fall. Love never fails. So in studying love, I realized a couple things. First thing is, I like it. You like love? Yeah, love is a good thing. But if we like it so much, why don't we do it more? Why don't we do it better? I like love. I'm not good at it. And I want to be better at it. I mean, think about it. And you can put yourself in my place. See how good you are at it. Love is always patient. Yeah, we're not always patient. Love is always kind. We're not always kind. Love is never envious, but sometimes I am envious. Love is never arrogant. Love is never conceited. Love is never rude, because love doesn't drive in Tucson traffic. Love never thinks just of herself. Do you? Love never gets annoyed, at least not easily. But sometimes I do get easily annoyed. The pettiest things can set me off. Love is never resentful. But us, we are sometimes resentful. And love is never glad with sin. And I know as believers, we're not supposed to be. But I'm telling you, sometimes we are. We side with sin. And sometimes we're just sick of helping. But love bears up under everything. 
And we don't always give the benefit of the doubt to people, but love believes the best in everybody. And love, uh, love never fails, but we do. Love, ah, it's good, but love is hard. God is the inventor of love, the emotional side and the hard side. God is actually the source of love. God is the God of love. Love is God's domain. Love is God's dominion. Love comes from God. John, now the the apostle John, he's believed to have been the youngest of the apostles. There's some scholars who think he was actually like a child when he followed Jesus around. I think part of the reason they believe that is because of how long he lived after Jesus died. It's believed he wrote the book of Revelation when he was like 90 years old. I don't know if he was a child. I have a hard time believing a disciple of Jesus who went around, you know, praying for people and ministering and casting out demons was a child. But nevertheless, he was considered the youngest and he was gentle. He was the apostle, most scholars think, who it says, the one Jesus loved. So he had a special intimate relationship with Jesus. You know, at the Last Supper, there was an apostle who was leaning back against his chest. They were like reclining together. Um, They believe that to have been John. So John, if anybody knows about love, it would be the Apostle John. He wrote more about love, I think, than anybody else in the Bible. First John, there's five verses, verses seven through 11, five verses where love is mentioned at least 11, maybe 12 times, depending on the translation. So we're gonna take a look at what John said about love just in those five verses and analyze it a little bit. He said, beloved, let us love one another. For love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. My dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Five verses, love mentioned at at least 11 times. And in these five verses, there are at least five key points that I found. So we're gonna go through those five, verse by verse. The first one's in verse seven. He said, beloved, let us love one another For love comes from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So the first thing I want to let you know, the first key point, is that love comes from God. That means our ability to love, our experience of love, that comes from God. It's like an energy pipeline that flows from him through us out to others. He's the source of all love. Wrap your head around that for a minute. You don't have to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you, but how many of you have ever questioned God's love? Not proud of it, but I have. How could I possibly do that? He is the source of all love. There must be something broken in here 
because there's nothing broken up there. Love comes from God. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Herein lies a biblical problem when you just look at scripture without a fuller context. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Well, almost everybody loves at one point or another, so therefore everybody must be born again. That's not what it's saying. Only born again people can love people? That's not what it's saying either. First John, about five chapters, I think, is written with one specific goal in mind, to help us differentiate true believers from false believers. There's a lot of wolves out there in sheep's clothing. How do you know if somebody's really a Christian? How do you know if a pastor's really a man of God? How do you know if the person sitting next to you at your Bible study is the real deal or a phony? You gotta know. Sometimes it matters. So 1 John was written to help you understand and identify the true messengers of God from the false messengers of God. And one of the key litmus tests is love. A true messenger of God loves people and a phony does not. So that's one of the litmus tests and that's what it's talking about here when it talks about love. He says in chapter three, he says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. The person who does not love remains spiritually dead. Love comes from God. Love is evidence that you're tied to God. And then the second point in these five verses is the opposite. It's the same thing, but from the negative perspective. And that's in verse eight. It says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So if we're spiritually tied to God, literally, how can we not love? How can we not exude his nature? Whoever does not love does not know God. God is love. Whoever says, I love God, but hates his brother is a liar. The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love the God whom he has not seen. There's a lot of haters out there. They're not such a a well-known group anymore. But you've probably heard of them, the KKK, um, Aryan Brotherhood, those types of groups. A lot of them claim to be Christian. Drives me nuts. They hate people. They're haters. And they claim to be Christian. Well, they can claim whatever they want, but John says, whoever says I love God but hates his brother is a liar. They're not Christian because they hate. God doesn't hate. His children can't hate. You can't hate somebody because of the color of their skin. That's not a Christian virtue. That's a satanic vice. We want to know the true messenger of God from the false? John tells us, love is the litmus test. Haters are not tied to God. Number three, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He sent his one and only son into the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John, same author. We're reading from 1 John. He says it this way in 1 John. God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son. In John the gospel, he wrote, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's saying the same thing over and over again. He's the apostle of love. 
as I told you before, love is a verb. How do we know God loved? Because God did something. God sent his son. That's some serious love. That's not the emotional love. That's not the slape agape. God did all he could do. So if love is a verb, and God proved his love by sending his son, let me ask you a question. What's your verb? How do you prove your love? Third point is God so loved the world that he gave. The fourth point in verse 10, God loved us when we didn't love him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't dying for people that loved him. He was dying for the whole world, which, what, 99% of them didn't love him. He died for his enemies. When he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was praying for those who were crucifying him. Now that's love. We have it in our minds that we, it's easy for us to love people who love us back. Or even people we don't know who we think about. But to love people who are mean to us, who are unkind to us, that's the kind of love that we're called to. I told you earlier, love is hard. But you agreed with me, love is good. Love conquers the world. Love covers a multitude of sins. And in this great spiritual romance, God is the initiator. God pursues us while we spurn him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the fourth. The fifth, verse 11. We should also love one another. That's what it all comes down to for us. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know, the importance of love cannot be overstated. It is the most important doctrine in the Bible. It is the most important behavior in Christianity. Love is the goal of everything. I went to Bible college. That was three years of studying scripture, theology, church history, apologetics, you name it, plus a year of secular studies. And then I went to seminary, another year of studying doctrine and theology and Bible and preaching skills and leadership. I've read countless books and magazine articles and listened to many sermons. But I've never seen a class offered on love. Isn't that ridiculous? Now, I'm not planning on it, but let's say I just say, you know what? Book of Life, I love you, but I'm leaving. And now you have to find yourself a new pastor. Here's what the typical church will do. They'll start advertising, hey, we need a new pastor. Pastors will start sending in their resumes, and you'll start looking at their education. You'll look at their experience, and you'll look at their doctrine. Do they believe what we believe about the Trinity? Do they believe what we believe about heaven and hell, about all the complicated issues that we argue over? And those are important. 
But the most important thing, is he a loving man? How do you analyze that? I don't know, but you gotta. Because that's the main thing. And that's the thing that we don't analyze. That's the main thing. That's the thing we don't have classes on. That's the main thing, but there's not books. Well, there are some books written on it, but they're not the main books. They're not the popular books. Our emphasis is wrong. The importance of love cannot be overstated. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything in the Bible hangs on these two commandments. Love God, love others. Love is the main thing. And the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And we don't always do that. So Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the Messiah, the King, said love is preeminent. Now, after Jesus went to heaven, the Jerusalem church, and I use that word church loosely, um, the, the faithful Jews, because that's all really the body consisted of for the most part at that time, was led by one of his apostles. And it wasn't Peter, it was James. James was the chief rabbi, the senior pastor, no, the head bishop of all the churches of the Jewish people. Listen to what he said about love. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. So it makes sense. The Lord said love is the main thing. His head guy in Jerusalem said love is the main thing. But look at the way he said it. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, like really? Not sloppy agape, not shallow love, the real deal. If you really keep it. And then I like, you know, to emphasize the different words because it helps me understand it from a different perspective. If you really keep it, if you really keep the law, keep it. And then he doesn't just say the law. He says the royal law. You know what royal is. It has to do with kings and queens. When we love people, we are behaving in a noble fashion. We are kings and queens. We are princes and princesses in God's eyes when we walk in love. The royal law. Out of all the laws in the scripture, that's the only one called the royal law. Love one another. And James says, if you're doing that, you're doing well. People often come to me and ask me a bunch of theological questions. Steve, what do you think about the rapture? You believe pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Steve, what do you think about eternal security? Think I can lose my salvation? Steve, what do you think about Calvinism? Steve, what do you think? Will pets end up in heaven? I get all sorts of questions. But nobody comes up to me and says, Steve, what do you think about love? Can you help me understand love better? Maybe I should do this. You know, maybe Michael, Nick, you guys can help me remember. Maybe you guys will do the same thing. Next time somebody comes to you with a Bible question, say, hey, Pastor Nick, what do you think about Calvinism? 
turn it back around and say, well, let me ask you a question. Do you love people whether they're Calvinists or not? Can you love a Calvinist? Can you love a non-Calvinist? And does it matter if they're a Calvinist? In light of love. And if the answers to those questions are right, then you can talk about Calvinism. But if the answers to those questions are wrong, you got no business talking about Calvinism. We need to talk about love first. We've got to get your priorities straight. Steve, what do you think about the rapture? Well, let me ask you a question. If somebody doesn't share your perspective on the rapture, let's say they don't even believe in a rapture, can you love them? I mean, respect them? Fellowship with them? Treat them with dignity and respect? Can you listen to them teach the Bible on other topics and not think that they don't know anything because they don't agree with you on this one topic? And if the answer is right to that question, we'll talk about the rapture. But if it's not... All right, so now we know what Jesus says about love. We know what James, the head of the Jewish church, says about love. But then God sent out a Jewish apostle to minister to Gentiles, and he became the head of the Gentile church. Let's see what he says about love. Love must be sincere. That's just like James said. If you really want to do it, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Let no debt remain outstanding, except be indebted to love. You owe a debt of love to other people. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not murder, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Don't let that word neighbor confuse you. It's not the same word that we use today in English. They shouldn't have translated it that way. Just the word others. A neighbor is somebody other than you. (laughs) So love others as you love yourselves. Love does no harm to others. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Be devoted to others. Honor others above yourselves. Be sincere in love. Hate evil. Cling to what is good. Our faith can be reduced to one simple doctrine. Love. And I found it fascinating, especially in light of what I said at the beginning of my sermon about the difference between the Old and New Testament, the mistaken difference. The verses that are most often quoted about love, the ones that Jesus quoted himself, come from the Old Testament. Love God with all your heart, love your neighbors yourself. Those come from the Old Testament. But today's lesson had to do with love in the New Testament. So next week, it's going to be love from the Old Testament. But as I told you, I got into this topic to deal with the concept of hell. How can a loving God send people to hell? Greg Laurie answers that question in a video I found online. And I really like the way he puts things. I can listen to him a lot. He's a great preacher. So let's listen to what Pastor Greg Laurie says to answer the question, how can a loving God send people to hell? 
How can a God of love send people to hell? How many of you have heard this one? Now here's the interesting thing. People have a hard time with the idea of a God of love send people, sending people to hell, but yet they do believe there is a hell. Most people believe in a hell. Having said that, most people don't believe <clears throat> they're going to hell. They think their neighbors may be going, but they don't think they're going. And I think the reason we all believe in a hell, even before we're even Christians, is because we want to somehow believe that somewhere there's a final court of arbitration out there for those that perhaps have escaped the long arm of the law, we know that there is a just God who will deal with them in that final day of judgment. So people accept the premise of hell. But they don't like the idea of a God of love sending a person to hell. My basic response to that is, for all practical purposes, God does not send anyone to hell. We, in effect, send ourselves there. You see, hell was not created for people. God did not create heaven for good people and hell for bad people. He created heaven as His own abode, His dwelling place. And according to Jesus over in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, verse 41, hell was created for the devil and his angels. It is the last thing that God wants for any man or woman made in His, his image to go to this place called hell. God wants all people to be saved and forgiven joining him in heaven. In Ezekiel 33 he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn back from your evil ways. Then in 2 Peter 3, 9 we read, <coughs> excuse me, God is not willing that any should perish, <coughs> but that all should come to repentance. And that is why God sent his own son to be betrayed, beaten, tortured, and murdered in cold blood on a Roman cross as he poured his, uh, your sin upon his son who had never committed a single sin. God loved you so much he was willing to let his son take the full brunt of the wrong you had done so you could be forgiven. And the Bible asks the question, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? See, in that final day no one is going to be accidentally in hell and no one is going to be accidentally in heaven. People will be in heaven because of a deliberate choice and people will be in hell for the same reason. I like how he puts it. He said, for all practical purposes, God doesn't send anybody to hell. Remember that what launched me into this series, how can a loving God send people to hell? For all practical purposes, God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves there. And I don't think that was just a, a way of skirting around the topic. I was thinking of this situation, and I'll wrap up with this. Um, imagine this. It's make-believe, but it makes a good point. Um, guys on a boat with a bunch of other people, and it hits rough seas, and this guy goes overboard. And you know, man overboard. And so this guy throws him a lifesaver. And the guy won't grab it because the guy who threw it to him was his enemy. Hates this guy. He said, grab the lifesaver. I'm not taking it from you. I hate you. You hate me. I'm not going to ever let, I'm, I'm not going to owe you anything. Find somebody else to throw me a lifesaver. People start gathering around. What's going on? Why won't he grab the lifesaver? He doesn't like me. Well, that's stupid. I know it's stupid. And they start pleading with the guy. Grab the lifesaver. The waves get higher. They get higher. I would rather die than grab your lifesaver. How many of you have ever met stubborn people like that? 
Let me see your hands. Yeah, you, almost everybody's putting their hands up. There are people like that. Let me rephrase that. People are like that. So the guy drowns. Now let me what, tell you what happens in America if this guy drowns. First thing that happens is everybody gets mad at the guy who threw him the lifesaver. What did you do to make him so upset that he wouldn't grab the lifesaver? So now it's his fault. What did you do? That's what Americans would do. That's what humans do. It's got to be this guy's fault. He must be some scoundrel because this guy would rather die than grab the lifesaver. Then everybody gets mad at the captain. He shouldn't have driven into those stormy seas. He should have known better. Canceled the voyage. Now they're going to sue the company. The guy drowned because he was an idiot, a mean, cold-hearted idiot. Nobody wants to say that because we're all sad at his funeral. And we don't want to hurt the grieving widow's feelings. But that's why he drowned. Agreed? Yes. So, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We can't make people grab a hold of Jesus. We can't make people love God. But we all have the same opportunity to be saved. We just have to humble ourselves and reach out and accept the Savior. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, help us to be loving people, patient and kind, to honor others, to not be selfish and self-centered, to not be arrogant or proud, to not be easily annoyed, to not be rude, to be enduring and long-suffering and to bear up under everything. Lord, we strive for these things. Help us to strive harder. Help us to be the kind of people that people want to know you through us. Your word says they will know we are your disciples by our love for one another. Lord, may that not just be a verse we memorize in Awana, but may it be true in our daily lives. Make us, mold us, shape us, form us to be good, selfless, kind, loving people, just like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.